0: We're actually focusing this morning on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, primarily. Let's go ahead and start with, I'm going to read a couple verses from chapter 5, which sets up what we're reading in chapter 6, and then we'll read chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. See then that you walk accurately... Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be under the controlling influence of wine, in which is dissipation, but be under the controlling influence of the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart As to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you, masters, do the same thing to them giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. As we sang, we pray that you would give us that kind of heart An obedient heart, a heart that desires to learn and to grow and to know you better and to serve you and to please you, as it says uh, negatively, not men pleasers. We do pray that you would enable us, grant unto us, strengthen our faith, grant unto us the ability uh, for your word says that without faith it is impossible to please you. And so, Lord, as we have been created and sustained by you, we are your servants All mankind is your servants. We pray that we would not be identified, we would not be among those who are in rebellion, rebellious servants, but we pray that you would enable us to be obedient servants, having been redeemed from all rebellion through Jesus Christ. We pray these things now for your glory's sake. Teach us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of Hebrew uh, this morning. Hold up your hand. Okay, this is your yod. Okay, can you say yod? Yod, yod. okay, this is your hand. This right here is your zaroma or, or zarola, zarola. And this is your... Shechem. But this is the one I want to focus on, your yod. Your yod, I should say, your yod. What does your yod do for you? Well, it enables you to move things, right? It enables you to write. It enables you to do things. It empowers you. And that's what the Hebrew thought is, is that your hand, your yod, is also your ability to do something. And so is your arm, and so is your shoulder. So they, when they wanted to talk about the, the power of God, the arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. The hand of the Lord. So you have a hand. You have hands and arms and shoulders. You're able to raise them. You're able to do something. But why? Why do you have a hand? Now, I'm not asking why As far as mechanics, I'm asking about purpose. Why do you have a hand? God gave you your hands, arms, shoulders, your body, and on. Why? What is the purpose of your body? What is the purpose of your being? And that is God has created you to serve him and his purposes for you. Now, I'm not saying anything probably profound. You already know that, right? But do we actually live it? Do we actually take that in consideration? When you're in school and you're studying, are you doing it because that I'm serving God or because I'm trying to get a grade or graduate, get my degree, and go on with the life? When you're at work, why are you working? What is the purpose? Oh, to make money. Really? We are all created to serve God. Back in the late 70s, there was a very famous musician. I don't know, is he still around? Is Bob Dylan still around? I think he's still around. Well, he went through a conversion experience, and he wrote a song, and I've mentioned it before. And the, and the song was what? You gotta serve somebody. In, in the lyrics, he goes... You may be an ambassador to England or France, you may like to gamble, you might like to dance, you may be the heavyweight champion of the world, you may be a socialite with long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. True, we serve. We're servants. Don't like it? Tough. That's who we are. If the question is who you're going to serve, and so my my main point there is, he's saying that he was right. Serving someone is inescapable. No matter who, why, or how you serve, your identity and your destiny are tied to the one. You serve. So who do you consciously serve, and why do you do it? The Bible says that we are born in sin, born in darkness, in the kingdom of darkness. Every human being is born serving the devil. However, by grace, God redeems and translates rebels into his kingdom into the kingdom of the son of his love. Where do you stand? Which kingdom are you in? Jesus says, you're either with me or against me. Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation or are you trusting in yourself? That is the most important question you could be asked and answer. It's life or death, eternal life or death. Well, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, a a book of grace. Remember, I referred to this as the letter of grace with the emphasis on following Jesus. Remember in chapters 1 through 3, the main focus that Paul says is that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We who have trusted in Christ... Are not only, you are not only seated here on earth, but more importantly, in Christ who is seated in heaven, which you confessed just a moment ago, that he's seated at the right hand of God. Paul says, the believer is seated with him. That is who we are in Christ, already there, because Christ is there. And so he establishes our identity. Who are you? Well, I am a Christian, I am in Christ. That's who I am. I was in Adam from birth, but he translated me out of that into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so now I'm seated with him in heavenly places, and then he goes on to say in chapter four, verse one, and repeats himself through chapters four, five, and six, therefore walk according to who you are. If you are seated in heavenly places in Christ, you still got feet on the ground, now you're to use those feet to walk with Jesus through this life. Because he's here. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so he goes on to describe what it is to walk with Christ. And the contrast with walking with Christ or walking with the world, the flesh and the devil. And he calls us to submit to Christ. And then we will begin starting, Lord willing, next week to look at the third command there in chapter 6, and that is the stand. So again, if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians, sit, walk, stand. So we're coming to the end of this walking with Jesus aspect. Notice what I read in chapter 5, we are called to walk accurately. Accurately. Walk in the Spirit, being under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Walk in wisdom, in submission to the Lord. So we come to this text is talking about bondservants. Now, are you a bondservant? When you hear that term, does that term just kind of fly by you? Bondservant, what is a bondservant? Well, if I were to say slave, would that have a little bit Clearer understanding. Are you a slave? Oh, I'm offended that you even asked that question. I'm a slave to no one. Wouldn't that be the, if you were to ask that question, let's say on the campus of Dickinson State University, if you walked up to a student there and you said to them, are you a slave, what kind of reaction would you get? Maybe not get punched out, but they would be offended, Right? Well, what did Bob Dylan say? You can serve the devil, or you can serve the Lord, but you've got to serve someone. Why? Because you're a slave. That's offensive. Oh, what are you talking about? Yes, we're all slaves of one or the other. But in particular, now he's saying, well, what about those who have a master on earth, or a boss would be the proper language. What about those who are students, who have a professor. <laughs> what about uh, children? We already addressed that, right? Obey your parents. They're your master. As a matter of fact, the term, the, the title, mister, do you know where that comes from? Mister comes from master. Mis- a miss comes from mistress, a female master. We work, we serve our Lord. And one of the ways we serve our Lord is in positions of service to others. We're called to serve one another. So he's talking in particular to slaves, bondservants, and masters. So he talked about husbands and wives in chapter 5. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he talked about children and parents. And now he's coming to these covenant um, situations of employment, masters and servants. Now, one of the things that doesn't come through real well in the English translation is the word master there. It is the word Lord, Kyrios. It's used five times, both of human masters and also of the Lord, Jesus Christ. In other words, the point that is made here is we all have a master, God. Okay, sovereign, we all have a master, God. He's the king, we're the servants. He's the master, we're the slaves. And we are all servants. And we are called to reflect our Lord and master. Psalm 24 starts off, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. He is the sovereign creator and owner of all things. He owns every beat of your heart. He owns every cell in your body. And he maintains them. Paul writes in Colossians that in Jesus Christ, all things are held together. The universe is held together personally by Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? All things are His. All things were created by Him and for Him. All things have been committed into the hands, into the Yod of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns from heaven over earth now. Not someday, but now. Jesus reigns. He's the King. He's seated at the right hand of God. Exercising that authority. And so what is the point here? We live in a world that is in rebellion against his rule. True or false? Is the world at war with God? Should we be surprised at wars breaking out, murders? The answer is no. The world is at war. The devil is at war. His name means adversary. Satan, adversary. He's the usurper. And so, whether we like it or not, we are in the middle of a pitched battle that started in the garden and will end when Christ returns. There's no demilitarized zone, there's no place to hide. You're either for him or against him. And so, the question, and this is the important question, is who do you serve? To what do you yield your members, your hand, your heart, your time, your talent? Dylan had it right. You can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord. Or I wrote it down here. You can serve yourself, Satan, or the Savior. Which Lord do you serve? So that's the first point. Remember who you are working for. Secondly, second point, remember why you are here in the first place. Is that important to have purpose, to know your purpose? Does it help? And the answer is yes. You were created for the glory of God, to honor, glorify, and reveal God. That's in the image of God. Right? That's your purpose. If you didn't know why you were here, that's why you're here. Glorify God. That other people will see Jesus, right? That's why you're here. You're created to glorify him. And you're created to reveal him, reflect him. What was Jesus when Jesus came to earth? What did he come to do? He humbled himself and became obedient, became a servant, became a bond slave. We just read that in Philippians, didn't we? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. What are we called to do? To humble ourselves, to repent of our rebellion against Christ, and to trust his redemption through his life, death, and his resurrection. That's our calling, isn't it? That's why we're here to turn from the rebellion that we were born into to Christ and to trust in him alone. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 10, the summary of the gospel? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Do you do so? You confess Jesus as your boss, as your curios Lord, master. Is he the master of your life? Is he the Lord? And therefore, you're called to reflect the household relations with Christ. If I am saved by Christ, I am a son and daughter of God. God is my father, and I am called to honor my household, the household of God. I'm here to serve. And so it is in our text. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your curios, your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. As you work for your boss, or if you're a boss, or you work for your boss, you're ultimately working not for him or her, but for Christ. That's what it's all about. Husbands and wives in submission to Christ. Children and parents in submission to Christ. Employees and employers or servants and masters in submission to Christ. Why? Because you are a bondservant of our Lord Jesus Christ and are free to serve him from the heart. Interesting thought. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave who is free. I'm free in Christ. I no longer serve the devil, the flesh, the world. I'm free to serve, to fulfill what God has created me to do. That's why the law of God is referred to as the law of liberty. I'm free when I'm following God's word, when I'm doing what he has commanded I am free, I'm bound to Jesus as his servant, and I'm free from the enemy. That's the context of our text. And so the third point, remember what is required of stewards or managers. Now the focus uh, there would be the latter part with masters, but in a sense, we're all stewards, we're all managers, for of our lives, of our, of our bodies, of our, of our minds, and so on. And so let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Last, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we preached on this uh, command, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And one of the comments afterwards from one of the parents was, well, what about the parents? You talked to the kids, but what about the parents? So I said, I, we'll get to it. So here we are. Let's back up a little bit. As managers, fathers, look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. As managers of your household, fathers and mothers. Here we have the household in the sense of bondservants and masters. But even before that, as fathers and mothers, notice the negative, Do not provoke them, your children, to wrath. Through severity, through injustice, through partiality, through unreasonable exercise of authority. Can we do those as parents? Can we show partiality? If we do, the kids definitely notice, don't they? Injustice, severity, being unreasonable, and using our authority. But notice he says positively, to bring them up, to nurture and admonish them in the Lord. Isn't that what we were doing in a sense, reminding ourselves last week, last Sunday? We had 10 children who were brought into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. And the parents, if you remember, vowed, to disciple those children, God's children, in the faith, right? And you, congregation, also vowed to help, remember? These children, some are here and and some are not today, are called now by God to walk in submission to Christ, identified with the Father. They can say, Abba, Father. They can say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They are disciples of Christ. And guess what, parents? You're the number one responsible teacher, master, discipler. Right? Is that what Paul is saying here? Fathers, do not provoke your children into wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, instructing them disciplining them, admonishing them, positive and negative. That's the calling of fathers in particular in the text, but also mothers as well. Charles Hodge, commenting on this verse, said the following, and I think uh, he's talking about discipleship of parents and children. He said religion, and I'll say discipleship, therefore is as necessary to the development of the mind as knowledge. And as Christianity is the only true religion, and God in Christ is the only true God, the only possible means of profitable education is the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is, the whole process of instruction and discipline must be the one he describes, which He administers so that his authority should be brought into constant and immediate contact with the mind, the heart, and the conscience of the child. It will not do for the parent to present himself as the ultimate, the source of knowledge and possessor of authority to determine truth and duty. This would be to give his child a mere human development nor will it do for him to urge and communicate everything on the abstract ground of reason, for that would be to merge his child in nature. It is only by making God, God in Christ, the teacher and ruler on whose authority everything is to be believed and in obedience to whose will everything is to be done that the aims of education can possibly be attained. And I have a little illustration of that. Years ago, I had a son who got frustrated with his mother, a teenage boy, and his comment was, why does everything have to relate to the Bible? And I don't know if you said it or I said it, because everything relates to the Bible right? Everything relates to the Bible. I don't care if it's wrestling, relates to the Bible. I don't care if it's working in the oil fields. I don't care if you're running truck. I don't, whatever it is, does it relate to the Bible? And the answer is yes. Motivation, goal. And so his argument here is, fathers, your goal is to disciple, to train and admonish your children, those under your authority in the Lord. But in particular, focusing on our text, why does he start off with slaves? Why does he start off with bond servants? Why does he say obey? Is it easy to obey someone? Is it hard to obey someone, especially if he or she is a, not a nice person? Do we rebel against authority? Is that natural? And the answer is yes. From birth. Be obedient. Listen and obey. Respond to, accept children with parents, servants. Let's just use the word employees or students or whatever. Those who are according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying here, a slave, a servant, has two masters. One on earth, one in heaven. He has his one over him in authority, her over her in authority, and Christ. So how do we do that? How do we honor Christ? How do we serve Christ when we're at work, when we're at school, when, when we're out and about? Notice what he says. Be obedient to those who are your masters. According to the flesh. How? With fear and trembling. Kids, do you fear and tremble in the presence of your parents? No. Probably not. But how about respect? Do you respect your parents? I think so. I've seen it. I've seen you say to your father, for some of you, I've seen you say to your father, sir... Is that a good thing to say to one in authority? Sir, is that contra our culture? Yes. With respect. Conscious care. Respecting someone else is to care, consciously care for them. Secondly, to serve. So so your boss, respecting your boss, respecting your teacher, respecting those in authority. How about simplicity of heart? Or... Singleness of heart, sincere obedience, undivided service. That's a pretty challenging call, isn't it, employee? Do you serve your master of the, in the flesh, your boss, your teacher, with simplicity of heart? Sincere, heartfelt service that easy to do? No way. Especially when he asks you or she asks you to do something you don't want to do, right? What is the old statement? I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Sincerity of heart, undivided service. As to Christ, there's the solution. How do you do it? When your boss asks you to do something that is just a terrible awful, dirty, difficult job, or your teacher gives you an unreasonable paper that has to be written within an unreasonable amount of time, what are you doing it for? You're doing it for Christ. Christ is calling you to do that, to glorify him. Does it make it easier? Yeah, it does. If I know who I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for Christ. As servants of Christ... He says later, notice he goes into the negative, not with eye service, not as men pleasers. Are we guilty of that? Do we want to look good in front of our boss? He says, in a sense, Christ's eyes are everywhere. You shouldn't serve for man, but Christ is watching. Not as men pleasers, because we're called to please Christ. Is there a difference between pleasing Christ and pleasing our Master? And the answer is yes, there is a difference. But there is an element of truth. And then he goes positive again, doesn't he? As servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, the whole inner man, with good will, doing service as to the Lord. Can you do that on your own? Can you serve your boss from the heart? The answer is no. I need help, right? Shortest prayer in the Bible, help Lord. When you're called to serve, when, you, when your heart's not in it, Lord, grant me the grace. Unite my heart to fear your name. Grant me the grace. To do this unto you, whatever the task is, as servants of Christ. And notice he actually gives us an encouragement, doesn't he? Knowing this, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, from his master, whether he is a slave or free. So Paul is exhorting servants to be servants of Christ. He's calling us to serve Christ. And then he goes on to say, and you masters do the same thing. Just because you're the boss doesn't mean that you don't have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You're called to do the same thing. With Christian consideration, he says. But masters do the same thing to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So masters, like parents, live in service to Christ. That which God has called your children, your employees, your co-workers, whatever to do. Remember Joseph. What happened to Joseph? He was sold into slavery. What did he do with it? Did he sit around moaning and complaining about being his brothers, sold him off into slavery? No, he worked. He served Potiphar. And guess what happened? Potiphar's wife tried to set him up. Did set him up. He ended up in prison. What did Joseph do? Did he moan and complain? This is so, life is so unfair. Now I'm in prison. What did he do while he was in prison? He served the warden. He served the Lord. And while he was there, there were two men that were thrown into prison, and they had dreams, and he interpreted the dreams for them. And and they both had happened. One was killed, and one lived and forgot all about Joseph. Did Joseph complain? Oh, man, he forgot me. I mean, a year later, Pharaoh has a dream. He remembers, oops, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, yeah, I made a promise. Next thing you know, Joseph, what is he doing? He's a servant of Pharaoh, direct servant of Pharaoh. Remember Joseph. Remember Daniel. Another one. He was, his life was threatened. He was called to serve. He was challenged to compromise, wasn't he? You can't pray to God for 30 days. And what did he do? He went into his room. He opened the windows toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees and he prayed just like he did three times a day. And they threw him into the lion's den. He served the Lord. More importantly, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. We said earlier in our confession, he descended into hell. And the catechism says, well, the focus there is not hell, the place of torment, but all the time that he lived on earth, it was hell for the holy Jesus. Can you imagine being holy, growing up with your brothers and sisters who are sinners and there are rebels and mother and dad which are rebels and things that are happening around in your neighbors and everybody is at war with God, hating God, living in sin. And you have to put up with that. He suffered all the time in, of his life and especially at the end of his life. He bore in his body and soul the weight, the wrath of God. Remember, have that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul says to the Philippians. In summary, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Isn't that what you want to hear at the last day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that why you're created? Why you're redeemed? Was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? So again, once again, consider your hand. Use it to the glory of God and use it to enjoy him forever. Amen? Amen.